Thanks for tuning in to Real Original. Today we're going to be discussing Knives Out. My name is David. My name is Suzanne. And my name is Sterling. And I want to get ahead of something here that we're going to be discussing spoilers on this episode. Normally, I forget to disclose that, but since this is a murder mystery, it feels pretty important. In other words, if you haven't seen the movie and you're interested in it, turn this off. Go watch the movie. Come back to this. It'll be here. The podcast will be here for now and the future. But we're going to be talking the shit out of this movie. All right. I've got a question for y'all to start this off. Suzanne, I'll give it to you first. All right. Who was the main character in this movie? Do I say it? Do I dare say my lover's name of Chris Evans? <laughs> he was in this? I think so. <laughs> Is that a spoiler? Do you really think that he was the main character? No, I think it was Marta. Marta. Sterling, do you agree? So I'm going to go with something a little unorthodox here. Uh, I'm going to say that I think that the main character is actually Benoit Blanc. Yeah, I mean, that's how the movie was advertised. All the posters and commercials, they were all Daniel Craig, all Benoit Blanc. And I think what's interesting is I I side with, with Suzanne here. I really think that the main character in this movie is actually Marta. But the way they advertised it, they, they built it up as Daniel Craig, who's probably more marketable. So it almost felt to me like the movie was banking on the marketable side of it while actually giving the lead role to like, you know, a woman, which is non-conventional. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I won't disagree with that. I, I definitely think that they did market it as if Benoit Blanc was the the main character and Marta had just as big a role. But I, I think that, I think that he, I think if anything, they both kind of had the lead. It was like they were a tandem lead team. It was, it was weird. Yeah, definitely weird. So talking about knives out here, uh, it's a murder mystery. It's a lot like the movie clue. If anybody's seen it and it's, it's all about, it starts off really spicy and really fast with one of the characters dying right out of the gate. Uh, an 85 year old on his birthday and his family's all at the house and the whole movie. It's kind of about trying to figure out who done it. It's a who done it movie uh, kind of in the vein of, of Agatha Christie stories and lovely movie. I've had a roller coaster of a time with this movie. I forget if I told you guys this, but I saw this in the movie theater uh, with a pal of mine and I did not care for it the first time. I, I really was just unenthused by it completely And then the second time I saw it was actually you both were there and I loved it. And I think the deciding factor was the first time I saw it, I saw the big twist. I I knew who the murderer was very, very quickly. It was very obvious to me. And that kind of ruined the experience for me because I was going into this hoping to find a good murder mystery experience and be like wondered and enthused the whole time. And it sucked. But then the second time I watched it, I knew the jokes. I knew that it was just going to be a lighthearted romp and knowing the answer from frame one instead of halfway through the movie, I was able to enjoy it quite a bit more. That's fair. Um, I will argue against one thing you said. It's not a whodunit. It's a whodonut. Hey. (laughs) Fun fact about the donut speech. The director of this movie, Ryan Johnson, was thinking about cutting it or trimming it down and Daniel Craig convinced him to keep it in because he really liked it and he thought it was something genuine and and I think that donut speech is something that everybody kind of comes away with I agree but I also think it was just hilarious like it, it definitely had its meaning and like I even saw the symbolism of the background with that little knives prop in a circle um I definitely saw how that played into just 
who actually did it and who didn't, like when they were conducting interviews with all the characters, trying to figure out the details of the night, like you never saw anyone sitting directly in the circle until the very end when um, Ransom actually was sitting in the middle of the circle and all the knives were pointing towards him. But I did think it was interesting. It's a circle of knives with a little donut hole in the middle. It's a knife donut. I never thought of it that way. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I was a big fan of donuts. That is a donut I would not want to order. That would hurt. Right. <laughs> but I don't know how you miss that if you love donuts so much, which I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of donuts. I need to figure out how to cut those back. <laughs> don't we all? Cut them in half and then eat both halves. Ooh, smart. Half the calories. Simple math. Um, Daniel Craig in this movie, from the first time he speaks, you're just shocked at the accent he's using. What did you guys think of his Kentucky kind of Southern American accent? Personally, I thought it was great. Uh, You know, I know that it might seem like a cop out because a lot of people are of the idea or the feeling that it's easier for people who are British or, you know, uh, English speaking European to do a Southern accent. But I think it fit the character. You know what I mean? He, he gave me kind of a like Louisiana Sherlock Holmes vibe. It, it just fit for me. Yeah, I definitely think it fit the character. I just thought it was so funny because it was shocking. Like when I pictured Daniel Craig, that that's not at all the accent that you normally would experience with him. So I just thought it was hilarious. Like he came out with this huge Southern draw and you're right, Sterling. I thought it was like a deep South kind of draw. And at first I was taken aback by it because no one else in the movie had an accent quite like that. So at first I was a little thrown off by it, but then as his character developed and he started getting more engaged in the very beginning it made so much more sense. And then I, I was a big fan of it. Yeah. The only other movie that I can recall Daniel Craig having an accent like this in is the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider movie. A lot of people forget that he was in the first one of that. Uh, and if you're ever looking for a really moderate, not unpleasant, but completely forgettable movie, go watch that Tomb Raider movie. Not really a glowing endorsement, but it's, it's there for you if you want it. <laughs> What's that movie that he's in with the guy from Girls? He also is, he plays Kylo Ren. Why can't I think of his name right now? Oh, it was directed by Steven Soderbergh. You know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah, I do. It was, it was about NASCAR. Too. They were robbing yes. the NASCAR race. Logan um, Bucky. Doesn't he have a southern accent in that, too? I've never actually seen it. Yes, I think he does. You're totally right. That is the hardest movie title to remember. Just the words don't make sense in my head. <laughs> Shouldn't it have been Lucky Logan? His last name is Lucky, right? Isn't that, isn't that the joke? I, I don't know. I really don't recall. I should probably watch it again. Um, but all it's interesting that we've mentioned all of these Daniel Craig movies, and we haven't mentioned the, the worst offenders of his lineup, the James Bond movies. <laughs> Get out of here. They're terrible. They're awful. And, and this is non-debatable. <laughs> this is just fact. I will argue that Pierce Brosnan was worse in some of his movies. No. Yes. No. I mean, neither of them Sean Connery. Well, they don't have to be. That's the thing is every James Bond has its own take on the character, except for Daniel Craig. Oh, God. He was just like, oh, I'll be Jason Bourne, but I'll lift my pinky when I drink tea. Wow. (laughs) 
right, I I will give you that. It is very Jason Bourne. I can't stand it, but I I know they're well loved. Like the James Bond franchise seems to have really taken to Daniel Craig, but it's just missing all of the classic campy British humor and the over the top jokes and everything. It just kills me, but he's got one more in him and praise COVID. It's been delayed for like two years now. It feels like, which is the only benefit to COVID. So woo. Dave's just mad because he agreed to see it with me already, even though he knows he's going to hate it. I'm hoping you'll forget by the time it's actually released. I will never forget. I'm like an elephant. He's got it written on his mirror at home <laughs> every day. <laughs> he reminds himself that you promised. Yeah. There's a picture of me on there and it says James Bond when releases. I write it in lipstick and then I put the lipstick on my face. <laughs> God. <laughs> I have a fun James Bond fact for you, Suzanne. I don't know how, how much you like the James Bond franchise. but Okay, go ahead. I'm ready. Daniel Craig and Anna de Armas, who play Benoit and Marta in this movie, they're, they're both in the next James Bond movie. What? Wait, really? Yeah. It freaks me out because she's like 26 or 27, I'm pretty sure. And he's like, I'm pretty sure he's breached 60 in terms of age. He looks great for his age. I'm not trying to like bash him, but I really don't like when Hollywood does this thing where they're like, hey, grandpa's banging that college freshman. This is cool. <laughs> right he's 52 i looked it up yeah well he sucks at james bond so i'm saying he's 60 that's fair I'm not, I'm not, he's, he's still old don't get me wrong i mean he could still be her dad at this point right so. he could be her dad like in eight years too like <laughs> it just bothers me a lot of the roger moore james bonds did the same thing and it's just really uncomfortable yeah definitely yeah, yeah i'm not a fan do we know that she's a love interest in the new bond though like or is she just a, a character She's been billed in the media as a Bond girl. Uh, okay, yeah. All right. That's a little offensive. Yeah. Taking that, you know, that nomenclature, she's probably going to have sex with him, betray him, and then get on his side and get killed. That's the general <laughs> path of any female in a James Bond movie. Especially the, the Daniel Craig ones. Holy crap. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably get back to the movie we're talking about. <laughs> so the one that we all watched recently... <laughs> good well i still have time to go into a, a rant about the movie rent if you guys want to sidetrack even more but if you want to go back to knives out that's fine too sorry you said we had time for that i can you guys don't need to be here for me to talk about rent <laughs> i can do that without you all right bye dave yeah <laughs> good night all right so part way through the movie and this is what ruined the experience for me the first time i saw it um, Marta comes across a maid from the house and she's, she's dying in a laundromat that's been abandoned. And she says something as she essentially goes into a coma or appears to die. And she says, you did it. You did it. But like the way she said it was so obvious that it contained secret information. And I instantly remembered that Ransom's real name was Hugh. And my brain, just yes. from years of watching CSI movies and stuff like that, it just put it together that like, oh, Ransom's the killer. And that's what ruined the experience for me the first time. Did either of you catch it that or am I the only one that that reads that watches too many movies and shows? I just wanted to say, yeah, because you said CSI, but. Oh. <laughs> um. Well, I think you're too smart for your own good, and maybe you just watch too many movies for your own good. I'm not sure which, but I didn't catch it. You know exactly which one it is. 
<laughs> I'm a good friend. I'm going to leave it out of your podcast. But uh, okay. I didn't catch it, actually, the first time that she said Hugh did it. I was like, oh, my God, she's pointing her out. She did do it. Or did she? <laughs> Guess we'll dun, find dun, out. Dun. <laughs> And I love that you bring up the CSI song there, Sterling, because it brings up another pet peeve of mine that I could rant about for quite some time, that commercials tend to give away the best parts of movies. That's a known Mm -hmm. fact. And the commercial for Knives Out, which I was kind of forced to see while watching other movies, um, it it cycled that joke every time. It was the it was the pinnacle of the commercial was when Ransom says, where are you from? CSI KFC? And that would have just killed in the movie if it wasn't in the commercial. And commercials in general just make me very sad. And that's all I'll say on that. I'm sorry <laughs> the commercial ruined that for you because I thought it was great. And I didn't like really watch many commercials before this came out. Commercials, especially about jokes or commercials about comedic movies, they tend to really take away from the experience of watching the movie in my experience, in my, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like they do always use like the top two or three like punchlines in the commercial. Yeah. Then when it happens, you're like, ah, ha, ha, heard that. <laughs> I've seen that 12 times. It is no <laughs> longer funny, but thank you. <laughs> so director Ryan Johnson, famous for Knives Out, also famous for The Last Jedi. Sterling, I know you're a Star Wars fan. What did you think of The Last Jedi? The first time I watched it, I think I was a little like fandom drunk and I enjoyed it a lot. The second time I watched it, I enjoyed it a little bit less. Um, It's not a bad movie. I do feel like they went in a direction I wouldn't have gone, but I will say it was okay. Suzanne, do you have an opinion on the matter? Do you think that I have one? I'm not sure where you lie on the Star Wars chart. Because I don't know if you have an opinion, I imagine you're just nonplussed by the franchise. (laughs) Um, Yes, I remember trying to be forced to watch Star Wars growing up with my brother. But after having been forced to watch so many other movies with him, that was like kind of where I finally learned how to stand my ground and not watch movies. So now I have an entire piece of my childhood missing where everyone references Star Wars and I have no idea what's going on. That's interesting. And I actually have wildly different experiences to both of you on this matter. The first time I watched The Last Jedi, I hated it and despised it because it it didn't fit the tone that I wanted from Star Wars. And then after I watched it more the second time, I appreciated it more as a standalone film. Uh, Sterling, you'll get the reference that I I compare this very much to Halo 5 in the Halo franchise, Mm -hmm. where it might not be the most stellar entry in the video game franchise, but looked at from the, the broader perspective of just as a movie and just as a video game, they're both wonderful. Agreed. Um, And then the opposite of Suzanne's, thing where she didn't watch it because of family was I don't remember watching many movies at all with my family growing up. I I really feel like really? Yeah. The ones that stick with me were basically Disney movies. um, Mm. And then there was like small soldiers and the, the now very insensitive Indian in the cupboard. And other than those movies and the, the, all the animated ones, of course uh, was the star Wars movies. And I think that's, where my love of cinema and movies and perhaps even my like 
geekdom come from was learning to enjoy the Star Wars franchise with my family because we never went to the movies and we didn't own very many movies. So like our, our pool was limited. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> I'm actually surprised to hear that, Dave. I thought you were going to like, if I think you may, I knew you'd watch it multiple times, but I had under the, it was under the impression you were going to hate it more each time you watched it, but I'm glad you kind of looked at it from a standalone movie perspective the second mm-hmm. time or, or third time or whichever time it was that you watched it, that you realized it wasn't awful. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm, 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 I'm glad to hear that because, like I said, as a movie, it's good. As a Star Wars movie, it's all right. Yeah, I'd go so far as to say it's my favorite of the Disney era of Star Wars. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. Because The Force Awakens was a rehash of A New Hope. Mm -hmm. For sure. And The Rise of Skywalker was just terrible. There's no... There's no way around it. It was like the least satisfying conclusion to a story I may have ever seen. But Mm -hmm. The Last Jedi, while... I do think it's comedic tones and storylines didn't fit with the star Wars. I would request and expect it was the high point of just being unique. And you can see Ryan Johnson trying to do something different, trying to take it in a new direction. That was potentially exciting. Mm-hmm. And from like retrospectively, now that we have episode seven, eight and nine, eight is my clear favorite. Cool. So speaking of sequels, do you think there's any potential for Knives Out to receive a sequel? Suze, give me your hot take. Ooh, hot take. Um, I feel like maybe I have no idea if one is in the works, to be honest. But if they do a sequel with this, I just don't know how much further they can take it to make it as good as this one. Just because, like, I already get the, like, the Clue vibes from Knives Out, like... It's slightly different, but like the who done it, like everyone's trapped in a house till we figure it out kind of thing for the most part. But I'm almost curious as to like, how would you do a sequel? Like, would it be a completely different story or a different character got into a different murder mess? Does Marta get murdered? Like, how would you do it or how would you go about it? So I don't, I don't know. That's a great follow up question. Sterling, any instincts on that? I am going to say, I think that to make a sequel based around the same family and Marta would be a disservice to the movie. Um, that this is part of why I think that Benoit Blanc was definitely a main character. Cause if they did a sequel, it would have to be based around him for it to be worth watching in my opinion, because we've, we've learned about all these characters. We, we already know a lot, a lot about these characters and a lot of this movie was, exposition about these characters and their their character flaws and you know the things about them like you know marta's mother we learn about her uh, pretty early and and we learn you know about the rest of the family and how they all have these negative parts (laughs) I'll, i'll be nice and say that um i just don't think i don't think if they do a sequel it would be based around the same family. I think it would have to be based around Benoit Blanc. I don't think there's a sequel. I don't think it gets made. I'm right there with you, Sterling. I think if, if a sequel is possible, it just can't be with the same family at all. I think it would definitely be risky to use the same family and the same characters, but flipping that on its head, 
So Ryan Johnson clearly wrote this with a lot of planting and payoff in mind, where he planted lots of things early in the story. And then at the end, in that like last like 20 minutes, it's just like item after item being revealed where you're like, oh, that's what that meant. Oh, that's what that was about. Oh, my God. He can see the ink on the paper that we thought had no writing on it. You know, like the, it was just constantly that thing. And it was just dopamine rush after dopamine rush. And if he planned from the start to include things like that, tying this movie to a sequel, I can see that happening. I can see it working and being being quite lovely. And then the other thing that I think would be interesting would be to play this up from the Marta perspective. This movie kind of takes sides that Marta was a was an innocent victim that inherited a fortune out of luck, but what if this what if she was a criminal mastermind mm. and planned for her to murder Walter or Harlan Thromby to get his fortune? And then a sequel could be about the family trying to get their their stuff back or frame her for a different crime. I'm not sure. I don't have all the answers, but I think the groundwork is there for a potentially interesting sequel. I didn't think about that, but I guess I guess I could see that. I mean, if anybody would do it, it'd be R- Ryan Johnson for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, touche. This movie has one of the funniest car chases I've ever seen. <laughs> the low speed, you know, <laughs> it like barely goes up to sixty five miles per hour. Yeah. <laughs> I love that the movie referenced things in its time, like in, in the car chase scene. Uh, Ransom or Hugh or whatever the heck you want to call him says, okay, baby driver. And clearly he's referencing a movie <laughs> that came out like a year before this one did. So it's, it, maybe it was two years. I don't remember exactly when baby driver came out, but it, you know, it, it references things that happened close to the time that this movie was released. So it's, it's, it's humorous to me that they do a lot of like kind of tongue in cheek nods to when it was made, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a, a movie, a product of its time for sure. I also loved how when they were in that high speed car chase, Marta looks over to him and she's freaking out because her car is like barely going past 45 at this point. She's like, do you regret going with me yet? And he was like, I regret not taking the Beamer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that That's a great line. Honestly, Chris Evans has a lot of the great one liners in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you bring up. Uh, Baby Driver, because Baby Driver is directed by Edgar Wright, and so is Hot Fuzz. Mm-hmm. Making a chain of movies here in my head. But the car chase in this movie, Knives Out, it reminded me a lot of Hot Fuzz. Like that opening sequence where, I forget the cop's name, but he's like doing paperwork and stamping things and just kind of like making coffee. But it's framed with like these jump cuts that make it look really, really intense. And I got a hot fuzz vibe from the car chase because it was kind of framed at first as being like a high intensity chase scene. And then they show the speedometer and you're like, oh, that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely caught that, too. I um, Hot fuzz is great. Edgar Wright. I, I really enjoy Edgar Wright. And hot fuzz has Timothy Dalton in it, who played James Bond. And so did Daniel Craig. This is the best segue I've ever made. Wow. Full Wow, I'm a professional podcaster now. Yep, exactly. Give them the award, guys. So give us our cut. Oh, you'll get your cut. Uh, you <laughs> each owe me $13. <laughs> no. That's <laughs> what you get. <laughs> I thought we were talking about pizza for a second. Oh, I Aww. wish. I've got a pop quiz trivia question for you. 42. All right, and, and you get 10 points if you're the one to get it right, okay? Oh, no, I'm going to lose. 
<laughs> what does Nintendo's Mario and Harlan Thrombey have in common? They're both white guys. Besides that, come on, you can do better. The answer is... Do they wear high-waisted pants? Well, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> I haven't scrutinized it that much. My answer that I was going to give is they're both plumbers. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, oh. <laughs> I wrote that joke myself. Can you believe Can you believe that? Oh, I can totally believe that. Oh, screw you, Sue. <laughs> that... That was great, actually. I, I did not see it coming. <laughs> Sterling, do you remember Christopher Plummer in the classic cinematic masterpiece uh, known as Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country? I do. He's wonderful in that. He So, Suzanne, I, if you haven't seen Star Wars, I imagine you aren't that well-versed in Star Trek, which is fine. Mm, yes, you would be correct. Christopher Plummer, the the classic actor, plays a Klingon in it in full Klingon makeup, and it's just magnificent to watch it burn and fail. Oh no! He's a wonderful actor, though. Honestly, yeah, he is, and and he's like, is he like ninety, ninety five? Like he is an old man. If we want to talk about old actors, can we please talk about his mom in the movie? <laughs> How old do you think she is? Well, what's funny, Suze, is the actress that plays her is actually six years younger than <gasps> Christopher Plummer. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm a terrible person. Makeup. Yeah, true. So Christopher Plummer's the the early, the oldest one. Wow. That's hilarious. He was in The Sound of Music. Like, yes. I don't really understand how somebody can act that long and maintain their sanity. Okay. Well, so is Julie Andrews. Yeah, he's been around a while. And- just speaking of stardom and good actors, like this movie was stacked with them. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable how many people he got to be in this movie. And I think we talked about sequels earlier. I imagine that's the biggest roadblock to creating a sequel is getting all these A-list celebrities in line to, to be able to do this. Um, Especially with Anna de Armas, like when she was in knives out, she was kind of an up and coming actor. And She's hitting it big. Like she's she's been she's been in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Uh, she's been in the new James Bond movie. Like she has a very good career ahead of her. So even even the unknowns in this movie are are hitting it big and going to be famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this movie oh, yeah. probably was her golden ticket in to all of the other big name movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and working with Daniel Craig, I imagine helped her you know network to get into the Bond movie. Oh, absolutely. Plus, she's beautiful. So that was easy. Yeah, she's she's quite lovely, of course. But that's Hollywood for you. Everybody in this movie is lovely. This is true. <laughs> Especially Jamie Lee Curtis. Love her. She's so funny. I forget, I forget how much range she has sometimes. Yes. She was great in Halloween. And she's funny in this movie. She's funny in Freaky Friday. And Christmas with the Cranks. Not a fan personally, what? but respect your opinion. I don't think there's a single funny joke in that movie. No, it's just like your classic, like suburban family trying to crack some jokes. Like it, it just, it's not like the wittiest humor, but it just reminds me of my childhood and how my parents aren't funny. <laughs> I really hope you share this recording with them. <laughs> hey family, can you check this out? 
I love Jamie Lee Curtis, but can we also acknowledge the fact that she did a movie with Arnold in the 90s and he was the best actor in the movie? What movie was it? I believe it was called True Lies, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think I've seen True Lies. I've been on a Schwarzenegger and um, Sly Stallone kick lately, and I, I haven't come across that one yet. Yeah, True Lies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Arnold's a good actor, so. Okay. Sterling's <laughs> ready to fight. It's fine. You no, guys can I'm just disagree. <laughs> I can mediate. He, he's not bad. <laughs> he's just not great. Don't get me wrong. I love Terminator. I love Terminator 2. Like, he's done some great movies, but he also like had really good writing for some of them. I'd like to see you act with four cups of peanut butter in your mouth. <laughs> and a bunch of silicone injected into every muscle in my body. Well, yeah. I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's real, but you know, steroids. Steroids. Mm, steroids. Everyone wants them. <laughs> Come here, children. It's candy. <laughs> so speaking of Arnold and Sly Stallone, they were super, super popular in the 80s where there was a stereotype of a basically a, a straightforward white cop and a black humorous sidekick. I feel like this movie kind of flipped that stereotype on its head because there were two cops in this movie and the black cop was was the straight shooter. He was the one that was trying to get down to business. And the white cop was kind of the silly, wisecracking, oh, yeah, I've read these books kind of cop. And I actually didn't really realize or think about that until watching it now for the third time, because I don't have, I'm not well versed in 80s movies. I kind of try to skip over the decade whenever possible. But um, knowing that this movie was heavily influenced by Ryan Johnson's childhood and his upbringing and the movies he watched as a kid, the stories he read. I really feel like he took a stereotype and flipped it on its head. That's a really cool realization because I didn't notice that either until you mentioned it, but I would be a big fan of that if that really was his intention. That's a, that's a great catch. I, I, I think, I think I might've caught that. I definitely took note that, you know, the the head cop was was the African American cop, but um, I didn't really. Th- I guess I didn't really connect it to the to the eighties movies or the you know the buddy cop movies. You know, I, I don't say buddy mm-hmm. comedies because like you know you've got Die Hard is definitely not a comedy, but it's that same you know white main cop and and then African American like sidekick cop and you know lethal weapon. Uh, yeah, uh, good point. Rush Hour. The Rush Hour was definitely a 90s film, and Jackie Chan is not white. I don't know if you guys knew that. That's the kind of hard-hitting facts and trivia you get on Real Original. Jackie Chan is not white. You heard it here first, everyone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The more you know. (laughs) All right. Suzanne. Ah, yes. If you could change one thing about Knives Out, what would you change? Hmm. Take your time. No wrong answers. Um, okay. We'll do a small detail first and then bigger picture. Small detail. Ransom's sweater had rips in it. If he drives a Beamer and he has all this inheritance, why does he have a ripped sweater? So that's my hot take for the small details. Now, the bigger picture is I almost wish they wouldn't have, like, released so much information 
kind of towards the beginning, early middle-ish part of how exactly Harlan died. Like they gave a lot of details about like how the medicines were flipped and stuff like that. Like I almost wish they would have like trickled in those pieces of information so that we could have put it together more. Yeah, they definitely do a big info dump in the front of the movie, which I agree with you. Like it was very awkwardly paced. It was kind of, it was front loaded Mm -hmm. as to um, Ransom's sweater. That was an intentional design goal that Ryan Johnson actually decided and and tasked the, uh, the prop master with. He wanted Chris Evans character to look like he had money, but he was too lazy to take care of his nice things. And that's why there was the hole in the sweater and, and his shoes were scuffed up, which I would have never noticed if I hadn't have read it as trivia. But yeah. And and doing some research for this, I I looked into why that hole in his sweater was there because I caught it too as being out of place. And I really, I feel like you're, you're onto something here where they should have done something else with this character to show that he was lazy Mm -hmm. or, like it shouldn't it shouldn't have pulled us out of the movie. We shouldn't have seen that and said, "Why is his sweater ripped?" Right. If it flowed well, we would have been like, "Oh yeah, of course his sweater is ripped." Yeah, and especially too if like Ransom ends up being the mastermind behind like trying to frame Marta and you know, it's like, well then they've kind of given him a lot of credit for being pretty smart. So, I mean, it's not like being smart means you're not lazy, but to me it it's not like it contradicted completely, but yeah, I think it's like the sweater part didn't do it for me. Didn't give me that lazy rich kid vibe that I needed to understand. Good thoughts. I love it. Sterling, your question. I felt like maybe there was some like, you know, spiritual lineage from some Hitchcock movies in this, the who, the who donut type. Um, (laughs) I feel like, I feel like Ryan Johnson should have made like a Hitchcock style cameo, you know, just like in the corner, you, you, you blink and you miss it type thing. I, I would have loved that. I mean, that's a minor detail, but not that I think this movie's perfect, but I would not, I would not change anything storyline wise or, or, or anything like that. I just, I feel like it works the way it is. It would have just been nice to have a little extra, you know, nod to the genre, if you will. That's a great point that I hadn't considered. And that would have made a lot of sense in here because this movie is very Hitchcockian. Um, I think, I think Hitchcock was quoted as stating that he didn't make mysteries. He made suspense movies. And that's very much in line with what Suzanne said earlier about a lot of this movie being front loaded and they show how he dies early. So it's not really a mystery so much as a suspense movie. And, and it definitely owes something to Hitchcock for sure. Adding on to that, I don't like director cameos personally. They always take me out of the movie a little bit. Uh, I would point to M. Night Shyamalan as being one of those where every time he pops up in his movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm watching a movie. (laughs) And I'm not well versed in Hitchcock. I I haven't seen many of them, but I imagine it would be the same for me where I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy directed this fake movie that I'm watching that's full of actors. And it just takes me out of the moment. Well, the thing about Hitchcock is sometimes he's just like a shadow in the background. Like it's, it's like a where's Waldo. Like you watch it one time to watch the movie and then you watch it again to see if you can figure out where Hitchcock is. It's interesting. You bring up where's Waldo because where's Waldo is something that doesn't have a story. You're not meant to be invested in it. 
So when you're playing Where's Waldo while watching a movie, when you're looking for that cameo, you're not wholly invested as if you were just watching a movie and experiencing a story. Like it's just, it's not a huge complaint. It's not a deal breaker for me, but it is something that bothers me. That's fair. Again, I'm not saying it should be like the whole point of the movie. I just, it would have been in my opinion, a nice gesture. Not, not that he owes anything to the past, but you you know what I mean? Like, I feel like maybe a nod would have been cool is all for, for the, cause we we all know Ryan Johnson's a, a movie buff. He loves movies. You can tell by the way he makes movies that he loves them. He loves them too much. <laughs> Fair. Um, I remember in one of his Twitter threads, somebody like challenged him on, on a Star Wars thing. And Ryan Johnson took a series of like seven images of him opening up some Star Wars book, going to like, you know, chapter 13, paragraph seven. And he just like continuously took more close and close pictures to some sort of answer that proved what he did in Star Wars was in the canon. And it's like, holy shit, you're such a nerd. <laughs> Um, but following up on, on the cameo bit, I think something else that might be a little bit challenging here is I'm not confident that I could pick out Ryan Johnson. I'm not sure I know what he looks like. He doesn't have as public a presence as Alfred Hitchcock and going back to the other cameo of, of M night Shyamalan, he's typically the only Indian guy in his movies. (laughs) So he's pretty easy to pick out. That's entirely fair. I mean, Hitchcock had a very uh, obvious profile. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Let's say, let's say, if I were to stand next to him it, behind a curtain, we you might not be able to tell the difference. But Ryan Johnson's your average human, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're as big as Alfred Hitchcock. He was like a bowling ball in human form. That's fair. <laughs> well, do you folks have anything to add about Knives Out? We've said a lot. Five Knives Way Up. Five Knives Way Up. I love it. Suze, how are you going to rate it? Um, First of all, what scale are we on? Like one to five stars? Is that what we're doing? I think you get to pick your own scale. Like a Rotten Tomatoes? Okay. How many Chris Evans out of a Chris Evans would you give this? Ooh. Or puking big gulps. See, this is difficult because... Chris Evans it plays such a different character than the normal I'm strong and handsome. So and heroic. Yes. He is a so, bad guy in this. He's he's, ne- he's never a bad guy. No, but I think he did it really well. So I'm going to give this whole movie a 95%. Love it. Wow, we got a percentage. We got five knives from Sterling. I don't know how many <laughs> there were to start with, but it gets five <laughs> knives. Yeah, I, I love this movie, and, and it's just so much fun. I really hope that Ryan Johnson considers making a sequel or, or or continues just making another movie similar to this, another whodunit, pe- people in the house movie. Like, this was so good. And something interesting about that is, like, he basically took this genre that's been dead for, like, 20 years and revitalized it with his own script. He just made it his, and that's just... It's so admirable. I would love to see a novelization of this. I feel like it would work so well as a book. Oh, absolutely. Are those those dead tree things? Yes. Oh. You can get them on Kindle now or iPad or Android tablet, whatever you have. <laughs> All right. Well, I have a shelf full of dead trees that I love. You can't smell a Kindle the way you can a book. So. And if you put it in water, you can smell electricity for a few seconds. 
<laughs> Enticing. Well, I think we've said all we have to say about Knives Out. Thanks for coming on to the show, you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And once again, you know how to get me here. <laughs> Fantastic Four coming up next. All right, God, kill me now. <laughs> no, that's not a promise. I don't know if I want to watch that. But uh, What anyway. are your feelings on Ryan Gosling? Oh, I love him too. What What is there to say about him? He's beautiful. He... When he plays the romantic type, which he does often, he does that really well. He can sing and dance. I, he's great. I think we've got a new hook, Dave. <laughs> Wait, what is it? it? Ryan Gosling movies. Oh, 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 gotcha. <laughs> More <bait>. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I don't have to watch La La Land again. Right. I've actually never seen that. Oh, Sterling. Don't. You watch don't. it, and then we can do a podcast where Dave bitches and you and I rave about it. Um, what if I don't like it, though? No, you'll like it. Are you sure? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anybody that tuned in, I just want to say, eat shit. Sterling, <laughs> eat shit. Suzanne, eat shit. This is a reference to the movie, by the way. I'm not actually being mean. Anywho. Uh, <laughs> if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please consider sharing it on social media or something. Uh, it helps out. And if anybody wants to be a guest on the podcast, just let me know. I'm always looking for new people. Next episode, if all goes according to plan, is an episode dedicated to my sister. And I'm going to see if you guys can guess the name of the movie. It's a sports movie starring Sylvester Stallone. It's a lesser known sport. That with boxing? No. Oh no. The other sports movie. <laughs> the lesser known sports movie starring Sylvester Stallone. I have no idea. We are going to be doing Over the Top. Yay! Over the Top is a brilliant movie that I've fallen in love with. Uh, I experienced it for the first time with my sister, but it is a movie about Sylvester Stallone who is trying to win back his son's love and affection through an arm wrestling tournament. What? I'm not joking. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's free on YouTube. Um, you'll have to watch ads with it on YouTube, but you might be able to find it somewhere else without ads. I'm okay with uh, ads. Highly recommend. It's it's just lovely, and it's going to be a great episode. Sweet. Wonderful. I'll watch it. Enjoy. <laughs> okay. Stay safe, everybody, and have a good night.